All right. Growth Volume 4, Rabba Rahil, Chase Moseni, Austin LA Connection. We were actually in person not we too many person. days ago. We were uh, in person. Yeah, we were in, per- we were in person. A little IRL thanks to the godfather himself, Nick Shackelford. Shout um, out Shaq. Yeah, shout out Shaq. Shout out Geek Out. What a way to do a send off. Yeah, we heard something really interesting that we want to talk about today. But I don't know, Robert, do you have anything before we kind of dive into the, the meat what do I got? of this? Yeah, what do I got? I got a few things. I just posted a thread on Brand Collabs. Love it. I guess maybe before we jump into it, what are your thoughts on Brand Collabs? You like them, hate them? Well, I think they're really interesting. I love when old Main Street, I don't mean Main Street, maybe like Champs Elysees style brands will like come work with. So I love the North Face. Paris is on the mind. Yeah, man. Always, always, always. I love brand collapse. I was saying I like them. I really like them a lot because of what they allow people to engage with. So it will bring some of the high street down to someone else who hasn't engaged with it. So it gives them some sort of accessibility plus visibility. And similarly, it brings some of those mid-tier customers up and some of those high customers down. So like the Birkenstock one I thought you showed (laughs) was so cool, (laughs) right? So absurd. Yeah, it's absurd, but also it's really smart on their part, right? Because Birkenstock is pretty like it's pretty ubiquitous. You see everywhere you go, you see people with Birkenstocks on. Yeah. Yep. What was your fave well, out of that whole list? Well, and to be fair too, like don't get it twisted. Those Burks were, I think, were still like sixty k or. So. I mean, it was absurd. It was uh, yeah. maybe seventeen. Yeah. I'm, I'm throwing. Yeah. It was big numbers. It was not an yeah. uh, impulse purchase. No, I'm with you. I think it's kind of foreshadowing what the topic is today, uh, it does help increase your TAM. It does bring you in front of different buyers that might not have purchased. Like, candidly, I don't own any Gucci at all. And I have a couple of those Gucci North Face collab shirts. Mm. And so it brought me into this brand. And I I think for me, it, it gets really interesting when the brands that are collabing are like incredibly orthogonal. Like Hermes started as a saddle company, a super heritage fashion house. Like, you know what I mean? Just top tier fashion house. There's nobody that would refute that. And then you're making a shoe for like Birkenstocks is like as hippy dippy granola as you get. Like it's almost like anti-capitalism. And then you have like the the most like egregious display of capitalism and like Birkin bag Hermes anyways. So it's that kind of that, that kale and cigarettes vibe. I really fuck with. I think it's a really fun um, thing, but there's also the the second type of collab was in there was kind of like Red Bull GoPro. I think is probably one of the best yeah, ever in ever. terms of business impact, where yeah. uh, they just became synonymous with action, adrenaline, awesomeness. Yeah. Like they were, it just it just worked perfectly. Yeah. Again, Apple and Nike, I think were were on that level as well. Apple identified really early on that the Apple Watch's main job to be done for a big cohort was fitness. I mean, whoever you know. Who does fitness better than Nike? I mean, they, yeah. they, so I thought that was really awesome. But yeah, I guess what was my favorite? I think that the the Gucci North Face is pretty strong, but I don't know how you don't pick the the Birkenstock. Hermes Birkenstock is just yeah. the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So that's that's probably out of that big list. That's the that's the big favorite on there. Uh, obviously, the the Nixon Liquid Death is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, that, wa- that watch it's, is fire. The ATD yeah. is actually beautiful. I have yeah. one. It's really cool. And it's yeah. fairly approachable, right? I think yeah. it was like 300 bucks, 250 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Uh, much yeah, more so than some of the... 279, I think, they put it at. Some, some, some of the fashion house... Yeah, that was yeah, some the of the private, fashion the house collabs was, can yeah. get uh, get pretty aggressive. We talked a little bit about Facebook shops at the event. That was really interesting. What else did we have that was 
Um, really cool. The brand collabs we talked about. DPA stuff I went through. We just had uh, Dan Pantella of Marpipe yeah, on. Um, sure. DPA, I think, is going to come back. So that was really yeah. interesting. I think those are the big housekeeping things, minus the fact that LA is just so crazy and you can have a Gucci store covered in ivy and then like, you go two or three blocks and your head's on a swivel. No, like our, like <laughs> our, venture, our venture into the alleyway was like, hey, we're going from seeing a Maybach to being in a uh, pothole that is literally three feet deep on the it's other insanity. side of the street. It's, yeah. What, yeah. What a city. It's wild. I think a couple other things before we get, because this is actually where the little nugget of knowledge came from was a panel with Sean Frank, uh, founder at Ridge, or not founder, excuse me. Was he president now? CEO. He was on a panel with uh, Jason Panzer, who is absolutely making a beeline for my number one favorite human. This yeah. guy was just, what a fucking mensch. Go, Loved the go, guy. Go. Uh, Jason Panzer, uh, president of Hexclad, and then uh, Isaac Medeiros, obviously my content crush um, of Mini Katana. So before we get into kind of the Sean Frankisms, Jason Panzer had a really cool, or not really cool, but just something that I think is going to be really helpful for a lot of D2C brands if you're wanting to scale or not even scale, just not go out of business is understand what your unit economics are. That's where everything starts. And so we won't go deep into unit economics. You guys can Google it, but I thought that was really interesting. And I think he's a perfect balance. Usually I kind of shit on finance people. I'm like, oh, when you bring a finance person in, blah, blah, blah. But he's not this meat and potatoes finance person. He's like the the better looking Gordon Gecko version of greed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. greed is good. Like he was just so dialed in and the way he wanted to push the limits and see how close yeah. he could get to the acceptable margin yeah. that he was okay with. And like, hey, here's the... So I thought that was really brilliant. Isaac Medeiros dropped the content bomb about how content compounds. And it's really when he has a thesis for a YouTube channel, he won't quit for three to six months. Like he doesn't care about performance at all. He's just going to hammer this thesis um, and make great content. And then the last thing I think that Sean said before we get into the the TAM stuff, I thought was really fascinating was that D2C brands are just not meant to grow like SaaS brands. And if your D2C brand is growing like your SaaS brand, you really need to understand why, how, and what's driving that growth. Because yeah. a lot of times it's fake or you're just buying into quote unquote LTV. And then yeah. when the tide comes out and you're naked, you're like, oh shit, I actually, all the Allbirds, Warby, yeah. all these people that are having some um, some big financial headwinds. So I thought that was a really interesting take. And I, I also think there's a corollary there where this is why D2C is such a bad venture vehicle. Like venture vehicles are meant to get in exponential bets where it's yep. like, if you have a really great D2C brand, you're like Ridge is old, Hexclad's old, like all these people, none of these people hockey stick. Lululemon's probably one of the most robust and, and they, you know, branch into no, retail. They have all these it, other acquisition it, models and they're just exactly Yeti, the same thing. It, it's very steady. Like it compounds There's over no time, but there's up and to the right. It's number that we, that we're all looking for on our exact. side of the house. We're like, okay, boom. Oh, there we go. Now we're ready. What's the multiple? So like, I, like, I thought that was one of the totally yeah. track. And I thought that was one of the most astute observations yeah. of the market. Sean's a, Sean's a killer, man. Yeah. And is a, yeah. a, a really awesome guy in person. A little bit of suspect taste in the sneakers, but no, I'm just yeah. fucking really Sean. <laughs> but the new balances were okay. Those hit. But I think those are kind of my big takeaways from the, yeah. um, the event. I thought that panel was great, but yeah. Let's jump more into the the Sean Frank stuff because you yeah. you you haven't stopped texting me since. You're, I mean, this is know, so good. I I, we got to talk about this. Yeah, this, yeah, this jump. Like, hey, the... we're gonna record this. We're 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 bumping all the topics to this. So essentially, what Sean said was, "Great products create their own TAM." Why this is important? Oh, let me let me go back ahead. you up here. Sorry, yeah. 
the preface was I asked Sean. You did. You asked what, this question, actually. That's funny. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What do you do or like how do you approach ideation and new product expansion? Mm, yeah. And then the stage is yours, Chase. Yeah. So uh, I'll do my best, uh, Sean Frankism. Uh, everyone's fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, he essentially said, like, this is the TLDR, uh, great products create their own TAM. And yep. so you can go horizontally with a bunch of different products because you've created something great that that can proliferate. So like, you know, they're in, they make great wallets, they've gone to rings, pens, and, and other things that are adjacent. When they have their own, you know, strategy on how to do that, but it just got the wheels turning. And Every product that we in SaaS think about, talk about, everyone has their case studies on, people write papers on. If you really break it down, it's actually not about the TAM. It's about what the product does to people who aren't in your TAM, Yeah, right? And I think this yeah. is kind of the most important thing to think about is whether we're talking about attribution or creative AI or you know whatever you specifically do, if your product is so exceptional. I have a bunch of examples, but I want to like get, do a little more phil- philosophy before we kind of level set on on data. I really believe this. If your product cuts through with people who are either in adjacent markets or like a step further from that, you know that you have won. So like if my dad is sending me a Notion link, I know like, whoa, Notion is, yeah. that's, that yeah. is ridiculous. If, if yes. you know, my mom is sending me a Slack Connect invite. Oh God, what has happened to this thing? So that's one of the things I think is really important here is for us specifically on this side of the house, how good your product is and then how good kind of the marketing is to back that up really dictates what is going to happen and how big your TAM is. Because I think we all do this when we pitch people with, oh, the TAM is this big. We actually have no Every living idea. human. Oh, yeah, we're like, oh, we have no real, no fucking idea. We like our really just think about what the serviceable addressable market is because that's all we can really see. That's a better metric, I think. Yeah. Right? And the TAM yeah. is like, how do you get three, four, five X beyond what the actual serviceable addressable market is? How do you actually, you know, saturate that SAM, if you will? So I've gone on a bit of a, a diatribe on that, but I think this is one of the biggest things when we talk about product. It's not just about all of this, you know, the technical, but like the TAM is how good your product is. So really lean into that. So I don't know what you what you thought about what Sean said in, in this context, Rava. No, I think you're spot on. Another thing that he said that was really interesting. And I, I totally agree with you on the, the, the TAM stuff. And for people that don't know and hate acronyms like me, uh, TAM is just total addressable market. So how many people can actually use this product? But I think the uh, the kind of serviceable market is probably a better proxy because there really needs to be not only a need to consume, but really an ability to consume. And I think a lot of people conflate the two where it's like, uh, you know, like if I don't have either A, the money or... So for example, I'm doing some work with a really cool company that builds these really cool custom floats. If you don't have a swimming pool or a boat, you have to build into gifting vertical because there's no way to consume that product. You know what I'm saying? But yet you could say, oh, anybody that goes swimming is in my TAM. And you're like, well, technically, yes. But like who the hell buys floats pool floats that doesn't have a pool, a lake, yeah. a boat of some sort. Yeah. So I think that is something that you really need to take into account. For example, like Triple Whale, if you don't have a Shopify store, there's literally no reason for you to consume Triple Whale. We have actually a ton of kind of pent up demand for like WooCommerce stores all because they literally can't consume the product. Are yeah. they in our TAM, quote unquote? Yes, but like they can't actually consume the product. And so yeah. I think that's something that is really necessary, but kind of after all that rambling, the real meat and potatoes was 
and we talked about this where there's starting to become this really interesting juxtaposition of D to C and SaaS, like techniques, acquisitions, jargon. And it's just almost like Spanish and Portuguese, you know, like very, very close, like romance languages in a way. And so when I asked Sean this, he had a very pointed answer. He says, well, I think of it in two ways. One, you were saying great products create their own TAM. So he was saying, I want to think about products, CAC products, products that will get people to the party. Do they have built-in demand for them? If they don't have built-in demand, they could still be helpful to the ecosystem, but it's going to be a different lift on the ecosystem. And then he yeah. buckets those into what he calls LTV products. And that's yeah. not what may, you might not come to the party for that, but you get to the bar and you're like, oh my gosh, Chase, here's $125 smoked whiskey that they do all this production value. I didn't think I needed this. I need yeah. this now. <laughs> and so now I'm at the party, but I'm giving you more money. Yeah. What was so interesting to me is there's an absolute, almost exact parallel strategy in SaaS known as land and expand. And so the land would be the the corollary, or I guess the connection there would be the land kind of product is more correlated to the CAC style product in D2C and the expand product is more correlated to the LTV in D2C. So I thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about how to ideate because he wasn't thinking about necessarily revenue generation. He was thinking about how can I clear the markets? If, yeah. if d- Is there demand already built in? And then, okay, cool. How much sum- supply do I need to hit equilibrium in yeah. that demand? Because if I don't have demand, guess what? I got to go Dollar Shave Club, MVMT watches. Like I have to buy my revenue, yeah. which he was very, very against. He had no problem augmenting it. And neither same with Jason of Hexclad yeah. where he wanted to spend. It wasn't like he was being conservative, but he had these ceilings on his margins. And yeah. so I, I just thought that was, to your point, a really fascinating paradigm that was pretty much the exact one we've been preaching in SaaS for millennia. Yeah. I think the big one you just brought up is essentially within this TAM, what is that, not a loss leader, but essentially that thing you know will drive them in and like either expand them through that so there's two ways you expand, right? There's obviously revenue expansion. There's also usage expansion, right? Because you just want to yes. get that LTV runway like longer. And so it really does come down to so like, for instance, we expand people through like extra human, like support, human in the loop kind of stuff. Yeah. That's a very specific thing, but there's also products within kind of that entry tier that expand your usage, yes. right? So it's not every person is meant to expand, but you want to keep every person engaged enough so that when they grow, right? That they're able to do that. And so I think I see a lot of a lot of brands and you should be trying to do this, but when you're early, early, right? So we'll go look at, for instance, Miro or Notion or Slack. They're, yeah. you know, eight, seven, they're like seven to 10 years into their existence. They have a very unique setup to hit that PLG motion in a way that yes. expands people in a really, really quick and decisive way. When you're starting out, you just want people to use and stick around and if they want to move up, like they will move up or you have to go to have the sales team go and harvest them, et cetera. But remember, the first idea is how can we get them in and increase their the depth of their usage so that you can increase the TAM through. I mean, poor Rob has heard me say this a bunch of times, but like like the virality coefficient of those people, right? When you get older and you're, you have all of those things built in, like I, I expanded on Miro the other day from my free account to like an $8 a month account. Yeah. But it's because I had three boards and I had one board, you'll love this, that had different regions 
across it for different projects yeah. because I was like, I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay. Yeah. It's like, dude, screw this. I'm like scrolling into the corner trying yeah. to find what I'm working <laughs> versus just having $8 a month for unlimited boards. Why am I being 100%. so cheap? But like, yeah. that's every single person is doing that calculation. I don't pay dollars for that. I don't pay $15 for that because it yeah. just kind of stacks on top of each other. But they increase their TAM because I need to have this organized in a certain way, right? So yes. again, we're rambling a bit. My number one case right now for this is open AI. And so I know all the oh, thread boys are going to come out, right? But I would want to just talk about this because I have, I have like data I can back this up, but I can't share it publicly specifically. But the tailwind of what AI has done to a bunch of different businesses and how quickly overnight everyone became an AI company right because they're seeing kind of this upward of trend to demand this like obsession dot com, baby yeah exactly little it's a little dot com boom right ai boom and so this is a i mean it's obviously everyone's seen the chart right 1 million users in less than a month in a what is it's it? the in, fastest ever ever second only to what was that that finance company damn it deal yeah i think deal was uh, previously insane yeah. in the first yeah. to 100 million and then no. OpenAI like shat like beyond shattered it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they and I mean, I think they had 1.8 billion visits to the site in 20 uh, in in uh, March, up from 1 billion in February. Like it's bananas numbers. My point is, no one knew what the TAM of AI was until the TAM was created by 100%. a life changing product. No one understood. We're using Slack, for instance. No one understood like the organization and what people needed for interdepartmental organization yep. and messaging. They had 23 million. I think they're no, they're saying about 20 million users will be in 2023. 20, uh, they're projecting that's going to 4x by 2025. 80 million. Dude, I give I give them 20 bucks a month, and I I, I literally I give them 20 bucks a month. I give Mid Journey. I, yeah. I think I paid my Mid Journey annual. Yeah. What. What I love about your examples is that you gave us two of them because I was actually going to push back on you about Slack, Notion, et cetera, Miro, what have you, because they have built in network effects where that's like the nitrous to a system where like a triple whale, we really don't have yeah, any network effects. 100%. And for people that aren't like hip or privy to kind of like the thesis of network effects, you can think of email as a really easy example. So if I only have email, email is really useless. There's really yeah. no utility to it. Yeah. But the more and more and more and more and more nodes on the system, the yeah. more useful it becomes. And now email is like this incredibly useful thing because everybody has it. Facebook yep. was the same thing, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's Seven something friends, that, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's something that I think is interesting because Notion and all these have these really nice built-in kind of, uh, network effects that can start these, your point, virality and sharing yeah. stuff, et cetera. Whereas OpenAI does not. You can't no. share your prompts. You can't share anything. And it was still the the biggest or fastest to 100 million. And they're doing yeah. way more than that now. Yeah. But what I do find fascinating about OpenAI is, is kind of, we had kind of in the last part touched on education. And I think education, or at least for me, the way it landed was a little bit of a fool's errand um, for us at Triple. It was this red herring where it was like, oh my gosh, this is people want to know how to use a product, blah, blah. And there's definitely, you, you want to have some product education for sure. But I think unless you're in like an IDE like or in something super technical like a Figma or something like that, that's a really specialist tool, I think you need to really make sure that your product doesn't need like Steve Jobs never wanted to ship basically an instruction manual because the product was so intuitive that you knew how to use it. And so I think that's something that my view has changed upon because I 
we put out some top tier educational content and candidly what performed better was macro meta level education on how to run your business better, what metrics to use, these this thing, and then like a follow-up and like, oh, this is how you would do it in Triple Whale versus like full on product education. And I think that the challenge for us was we have so many different types of stakeholders that the CEO is not going to watch a tutorial. The CMO is not going to watch a tutorial. And so these people use our heavy users of our product. And so, but then there is the media buyer. And and so like figuring out that was, was really interesting to me because the whole to land the plane here, open AI is giving you no education. You actually have to go hunt for it, figure this out, blah, blah, blah. But there's enough simplicity and intuitiveness to it that people are willing to take the flyer. So I, I'm very bullish on it. I, can I make a prediction? Hit me. So in the, I think there's going to be one to three years of a gold rush in AI. I think that you're seeing it now. There's like this study tool that's really slapping. I think there's going to be this one to three years of kind of 49er style gold rush. And then I think it's going to get commoditized by all the big boys and or it's going to get into these certain vectors where you it is no longer like a chat GPT, but it's like an internal tool where yeah. you can now deploy Chase AI and Chase AI can connect to your data set, learn from your company internally, but there's no external facing stuff. Yeah. And that can surface like, here's yeah. all the main topics that came up in the meeting. Here's uh, yeah. what happened in marketing sales. And here's the overlap. Yeah. Here's the action items. And you can do all this stuff. So that's my thesis. But anyways, I, yeah. I was a huge... I love that. I mean, rant. I have this like very... Uh, so Jasper raised like 125 million. Yeah. My buddy Adam is friends with Jasper. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, right? They're in the same um, office. They're now what they're doing. So they used to kind of, um, if you look at their pricing tiers, so we watch them a lot, right? So they used to have a word count that you could go to yeah. in terms of your generation. Yeah. That's yeah. gone now, right? So what's happening? So they have been in AI for a long time. They were built on top of open AI. Yeah. Open AI opens chat and server costs are going up, right? Yeah. Server yeah. calls start going up. So they're saying like, and again, this is oh, all acquisition. This is, this is right? not financial information. Do not take this advising advice. But they're essentially saying, like, look, you know, we're scaling. We want to get more customers on. We also want to have our own model. So we're going to essentially right, say listen. have it for free in terms of all of the stuff. We're going to buy our own model so that we can scale the middle on our margins for OPEX so that as we go acquire those yeah. customers, land, expand them. They become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because they have essentially built the model for us, right? I love it. And I think there's something you said. I completely, that's a complete tangent, but we're talking about TAM. I think this is a really funny one because we talk about the TAM of society. There's also intercompany TAM. Yeah. Yeah. So triple, let's just use triple, right? Okay, you have a 10-person DTC company and five people in the company use it. Yeah. All right, CEO goes and takes a look once a day. Dashboard in the morning, dashboard nights. Okay, twice a day. Media buyer, that's the person who is like your best friend, right? Because yes. they're in there all day, every day, checking things, campaigns, data. And so a lot of times what we do, anyone, I think what we do is we're like, hey, look, let's make the buyer love us instead of the user love us. And we got to have both streams. It's a big deal. And honestly, the convincing the former is a better use case because then you have the ladder on the hook where it's like, hey, I, my boss mandated this, make it easy for me. Yeah. But if that backend doesn't come around, it depends. But I think you're so spot on, man. And, and not to break your flow up, but I think this mm-hmm. is the main difference between sales-led and touchless. 
Um, so meaning a touchless motion where I can go and sign up self-serve uh, sales that I have to take a demo is that in the sales led, like you're exactly right. Where sales led, you're selling to the, the buyer, AKA the business. Yeah. Whereas touchless, you're selling to the user because yeah. you just need to convince that user they put in their credit card. That's why I think notion and Slack were so interesting because you could just start it on your own. You didn't need to get the corporate expense card or whatever. Yeah. Start the free trial. You start to get a bunch of people at the party and like, hey, yeah. this party's pretty cool. Should we rent the house for next year? Okay, yeah. cool. Oh, we should make the house bigger. Oh, let's get a house next year with the pool. Oh, maybe we'll get a float factory pool float. Shameless plug. But like, I think that's the thing. And the internal TAM I love, but I also think going back to that growth of, think about your house almost like a party where it's like, do you have the ability to host an awesome party? Is your house mm. big enough? Do you have enough bathrooms? Do you have the right music? Do you have mm. the right people there? Do you, and Because I've just seen where you can expand so quickly and have these crazy... And granted, they're great problems when they are hyper growth. Yeah. But it's just, you know, the house can start to fall apart if you don't have the space, the parking. You don't think through the logistics yeah. of hosting a really awesome party. Oh my God. And so once that party starts to get a little whack, then that user starts to yell at his parent, like, oh, I don't want to go to Chase's house anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chase's house is boring. All right? they do you is talk about French paintings and fancy yeah. lawn gnomes. Right. I don't want to okay. go there anymore. Inside jokes. You guys will get it one of these days. <laughs> um, so I think that's something that you need to be cognizant of, kind of yeah. like a little bit of an Icarus moment where I'm flying too close to the sun. Obviously, you really want to do it, especially if you are venture-backed, you need to grow. Yeah. But it is something that... One of the biggest challenges, I think, with D2C and SaaS, or one of the biggest differences is like landing expands great. So net dollar retention is the big thing that you want to look at. But D2C doesn't have the leaky bucket problem. It has the quote unquote LTV problem, right? Yeah. And so SaaS has that leaky bucket problem, which can be a real thing where you're you're just cranking. You build this big marketing machine and cranky velocity and then... Again, your your party in the house is you, they can't find a parking spot. Yeah. The music sucks. Like all these little things start to add up yeah. and you get this churn. And that churn can start to be quite invasive to hitting your NDR cool. targets because it costs a lot of money a lot of times to activate yeah, SaaS yeah, people. Yeah, and yeah. when the churn is high, it can be challenging. And so that's one of those things where the LTV and stuff, where all this stuff is awesome, but it's about landing and expanding. But at the same time too, you need to make sure that the party's still fun to go to because if people yeah. are leaving and new people are coming in, those unit economics start to catch up with you. Well, I think the funny thing is we're talking about activating TAM. You can deactivate TAM too. Yeah. Like shitty product experience. Like, like very, yes. very easily. So I talk about the, you know, the product experience of getting Viore all the time. Like yep. you put it on, you're like, fuck, man, it's like butter on nice. my body. It's like, this is the best yes. thing ever. And they have a few like nice kind of things that you, that you experience but it takes a little while there, so there's some anticipation, right? Three, four, five, six days. Oh, get software, sure. generally, unless it's some huge enterprise SAP, you can get in there pretty quickly. Like our software is you can get in that day, start using, no problem, and make a decision within 30 minutes if you're going to stick around for a while, yep. right? Even if you're locked in for the month, you hit up, hit that intercom, and you're like, yo, refund, right? This is crap. Yes. Or, Oh, this is amazing. I want to expand. Like, you know, both they're both kind of pulls. I think the the biggest issue I generally see is like sales led versus product led is we expect people to want software as much as we think they should. No one ever, not even software companies want software. 
Like, let's just be completely <laughs> honest, right? I don't want software. You don't want software, but I need software. And I want my life to be easier in some way or my productivity to be amplified or my ability to read this data to be simpler. Did anyone in their right mind ever say, I want Looker? No, they didn't. No. But you need it for certain things and it makes your life yes. better once it gets tooled up properly. I guess my point is one of the things that I see a lot of SaaS founders or operators talk about is like, yeah, yeah, they didn't want to do this. It's like, no, no one wants to do that. No one in their right mind wants your software. The job is no. to make a product that is so exceptional, hit such a need, and that you have gone to market with your marketing and your pricing structure that the velocity is, it's impossible for them to say no, right? It literally goes back to Alex Ramosi making an offer so good they can't say no. They would feel stupid saying no. Yeah. I call it uh, don't don't have an offer, make an IQ test where it's like, if this person doesn't choose this, choose this. It's like, you know, there's some negative connotations that comes with this because yeah. it's such a no brainer. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, man. I think this is a, the real balance in a SaaS slash D2C company is the product really is core. It's almost like the heart or the brain. Like it's just an absolute necessity. But the challenge is if you have a great product, you need to figure out stories that people can internalize why it's great. And I, I think that's the challenge because unless somebody's saying, oh, I'm so smart for using Triple Whale or oh my God, Triple Whale saved me so much money or oh my God, the pixel told me to scale and now we're absolutely booming. Like what are the easy stories that they can repeat to their partner, their significant other, their friend, why they're so smart, they're so successful, they're the best because they're using X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think when you don't have either the product or the story, you can get into some headwinds because people love the product, but they don't have a, like the too long didn't read. I think a lot of the responsibility of the marketing team is to give you those little narratives and sound bites to take to your boss and take to those people. And yeah. if you don't, it just gets into a place of amazing billboards in the middle of the desert. And it's, yeah. it's just not, I've seen great products fail. Yeah. I have yet to see kind of a product paired with a fantastic brand fail. Granted, I think it could happen, but I don't like, do you know any brands that have bad products or great brands that have bad products? Like, I can't think of any. I think I've heard of brands who. It could be an average product. Don't get me wrong. Cause like, if it's a commodified space, yeah. brand is even more important in my opinion, but it just can't be bad. You can't feel like huckstered where you're like, oh, I, yeah, I, like the wish.com effect. I think some great brands try to innovate like too far past where their customers uh, want. Sony so genius kind just, of thing. Or, uh, like, so, well, for instance, like Google Glass, like no one fucking wanted that. Yeah. That was like, oh, we're, you know, all like, birds and apparel. Like all birds, like, no, dude, there's so many other companies, even use like Facebook going to metaverse. Like, could that still happen? Absolutely. But that wasn't a thing for today. What happened to the earnings report, by the way, when they leaned heavy back into ads with all of their, you know, oh, Zucks buying more yachts, baby. Yeah, Always exactly. Choking people exactly. Out. So I, I think the hardest thing to do in my mind when you're building something is to not get shiny object syndrome because you've been heads down building something for that so long. That feature factory thing is a real feature factory. Like I've you get shiny object, like, oh, I'm going to build this, everywhere. I'm going to build that and stick. do the thing that got you there. Like Tom Brady always talks about this, right? Like, dude, I just worked harder than everybody. I added a yeah. few things here or there, but I didn't like not stay core to the mission, which is I know I'm not the best athlete. So I'm going to be yeah. the smartest. I'm going to have, you know, the best regimen, all of these other things that no one else can control but me. Everyone else has these other things. I have no control over it. So if there's something unique to you, whether with, with, within your product, stay there. 
The other thing is the stories that you tell about your product and your customers, you own them completely. I think this is one thing we forget a lot because we're like, oh, we're looking at this company and that company. They're doing these things like, okay, well, your version of that is 1000% owned by you. And how you tailor that story to amplify your product, the benefits that it provides, and the sales velocity with which it creates is, again, up to you. And so you can turn on ads, right? Again, incremental. But if that's the way that you're going to acquire customers, drive customers in, the same ease with which you you acquire that customer, they will leave with the same ease. And so... 100%. The, the even probably uh, more vigor. I think there's a yeah. there's a more weighting on the negative experience than a positive one. Oh, oh my God, absolutely, absolutely, like absolutely. We, we I mean, anytime our past podcast, the, the yeah. anti magic moments. You see yeah. that? You see that yeah. callback? See, That's what they call it in the industry, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Callback. Look yeah, at yeah. that. This is, this is the on. David Senra, right? Just like, hey, That's episode eighty one, episode seventy. Like, yeah, founder spot. What a oh my God, strong. I guess landing this plane, what's the big takeaway? Or let me throw one more thing in there and then I want you to give people a too long didn't read because we've been running in 78 different directions. Yes, we have. The other really, I thought, incredibly inspiring tip and it's super hard, super hard, so I'm not saying it's easy, is founders more or less should get out of the way sooner than later. And I don't mean they should stop running things. I'm a big believer in founder-led brands. I thought Stitch Fix was an absolute rocket ship and then Katrina Lake left and then they actually ended up bringing her back. Plus Jobs, same thing, yada, yada, yada. But get out of the things that you're not great at. If you're not a great operations person, if you're not a great finance person, and candidly, you can't be. Like you can't be all these things. Like there, there's definitely gonna there's something called, uh, economics called absolute advantage and competitive advantage, and you're you're gonna find somebody that has an absolute advantage over you or a competitive advantage in one of those verticals. Even though you might have the quote unquote absolute advantage, it's just more value generative to run the vision, to run the things you can't pay people for. Where you can hire an awesome CMO, or you can hire yeah. an awesome CFO, or you can hire an awesome COO. So I thought that was something that Sean and honestly, Jason agreed with as well, where he's, that was one of the reasons why his best friend who started Hexclad brought him in as president was because he was like, dude, we're getting to numbers that I don't know how to manage and I need to, I want to scale, but I can do the product and all this awesome stuff. Can you just make sure that we never run out of money and we're profitable? And I think that's something that is, is, is lost upon because it's, it's ego hit. And I think that the Zuck stopped coding the guys at Airbnb got basically out of the day-to-days as quick as possible. So I don't know. I think that was just something that, again, Sean and Jason both touched on where I thought that was a really interesting observation. I think if you want to reach your potential as a product, as a person, as anything, you have to be so honest it hurts. Yeah. Don't fuck around with the things I've done a thousand times that you're not special at. Like there are, there are brands that we do similar things as or, or excuse me, products or like one of our products or features is the same as theirs. I will recommend their product because I'm like, hey, this is a plus. 100%. You want this plus this all combined here, please join us. Let's have a party. But this thing, no one else does like us. 100%. Right. That, and so, so that was that's the same thing. Sorry to cut so you off. I, I feel very strongly. As a product, as a marketing team, like we were talking about the, the traits of CMOs and stuff, which I want to like l- end on for a lot of people to think about when they're either talking to people and or thinking about how to do stuff themselves. But get out of the bullshit. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your team. Look at the data. It will tell you everything you need to know. And don't be afraid to just 
put your hands up and say, this is not my thing and find yep. killers who will because they will take you way farther than you could ever do yourself. I love that. What a good place to wrap up. So in short, really good stuff from Sean Frank. I would really recommend following him uh, as well as Jason Panzer. They're putting out some of the best stuff in the business. Get out of the way, make great products, yeah. help people generate value, worry about the NDR for sure. And everything else should kind of take care of itself. LTV yeah. to CAC products or land and expand plus churn yeah. and SaaS. But just a, a smorgasbord, if you will, of topics for you all to go research this weekend. Yeah. But can I give you a couple questions before we sign off? Hit me, man. Okay. These are going to be fun ones. We'll start with a little bit of a negative, but we're not negative, Nancy. This is just kind of yeah. a fun question and I already have an answer for it. So um, what's the biggest marketing blunder you've witnessed or experienced and what did you learn from it? Marketing blunder. Oh my God. Worst one ever was not understanding like the actual gross margin of products and thinking they were higher than they were and spending heavy into those things and then having to pay the piper on the back end, which was just being drawn and quartered in a meeting. So yeah, that was probably the worst one I have done. Uh, how about you? Oh, wow. You're so introspective. Now I'm yeah. going, I'm going what I've witnessed, not what I've experienced. Get out of here. <laughs> There's skeletons in this closet, baby. You got You got to get on the OnlyFans for that. Yeah. Uh, I thought the, the Amazon Fire Fund was absolutely atrocious. Oh, I thought God. that was dead on arrival. And I thought that was one of the biggest misses. They spent upon a ton of money and it was probably for me, the biggest marketing blunder I can remember in recent memory. It was really bad. Yeah. I mean, I think like candidly, I think metaverse was a, like from the day one, it was all the bro, like Cash all the uh, Bitcoin bros going over there. And I was like, dude, this is not, this is not ready. Like not the technology is not ready. If video Facebook games look like this and phones, no. graphics look like this, and this looks like Sims from 1996, why would anyone spend money in this product? So yeah. I was very, from the beginning, I remember countless people like, dude, it's going to be incredible. You should buy land in the metaverse. I'm like, look, man, just not for me. Well, okay. I'm old, dude. People don't realize that like what is old is new times flat circle kind of shit. Like yeah. this stuff happened in second life. This already yeah. happened. Like there yeah. was places in second life that were worth more in like the metaverse than they were in real life. Like it was, yeah. it was such a unique thing, but that uh, metaverse and Facebook phone, I think are definitely close, yeah. close runners up. If you could have any fictional character as your marketing mentor, who would it be? And what lessons do you think they would teach you? You know, I'm, I'm too easy on this. I'm just, just always go Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte is my answer to every, well, every you get You are dick riding French so hard, dog. So what he would tell me is always control the narrative. Always control the narrative. He's not fictional, but he's not. Oh, fictional, okay. Fictional character. Oh, well, Don Draper would be my guy. Don Draper would be my guy, easy. And what he would say is every person wants a story. Make sure you find the story because people don't actually know what they want. So give them what they give them what they want, not just what they need, because everyone knows what they need, essentially. So um, I can take it. Yeah. How about I'm you? I'm going either who would I want? I think I'm going either Gordon Gecko, John Galt, or oh, Scrooge McDuck. Dude's loaded. Oh. He's loaded. Come on. He's jumping oh, dude, into a, dude, a gold, a gold pool Scrooge, of stuff. I love Scrooge McDuck. The kids won't get the reference, but look yeah. it up. Uh, oh Scrooge McDuck, I, oh I think. I should have gone Logan Roy. He would have just told me to tell everyone to fuck off. Uh, exactly. <laughs> or Tally from South yeah. Park. Yeah. Just getting everybody butter. <laughs> okay, let's do one more. 
If you were a SaaS or D2C company, which we are, what celebrity would you choose as your spokesperson and why? Okay. Who so would who, be who, nice. who would be the, if you could have anybody, who would be Pencil? Okay, you go first. I know you have your okay. answer already. I think the celebrity that I would choose, I think maybe like a Neil deGrasse Tyson or something okay. in that like cool, but funny, but also like brilliant. So that'll be my pick, I guess, is Neil deGrasse Tyson, because I'm a big Carl Sagan guy. Um, and he's yeah. a, a big protege of yeah. Carl Sagan. Yeah, I think that, that'd be my pick. Dude, Wes Anderson, how, that's just sitting out there for you. I mean, Wes Anderson is good, but I kind of want—I kind of want Bill Murray. Oh, Bill! Oh, Bill Murray would have been a yeah, great yeah. Pick. Can you imagine right. talking about AI? That's how great he would be that's talking about AI? Yeah, Bill Murray yeah. is still all right. That's yeah. great. All right, that's, that's great. great. Bill that's Murray's great. Still. This was a great one. Remember, you have a couple different versions of TAM. You have Interproduct TAM, you have Intercompany TAM, and then you have kind of worldwide TAM. Like Raba said, look at your net dollar retention. Look at your churn numbers understand what's going on between your mm-hmm. your buyer and your most active user within the accounts and don't be afraid to tell stories that's what actually drives you know the velocity towards growth whether it's acquisition or expansion and yeah go listen to the I operators would, not, yeah the operators is great but i would also add not only that but give that user awesome stories that they can then go tell their boss why they're so smart, why they're making so much more money, why their life is so much easier because of your product. Because the only thing, and this is a hill I'll die on, it might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think unless you're a founder owner, the only thing you care about is making your boss happy. Yeah. If you're making your boss happy, everything else just falls into place. If you're doing a great job, but your boss isn't happy, as paradoxical as it is, it's rough waters. So always oh. index on what your boss wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always know. It's I said to every every young person since we're old, know what makes your bosses and your boss's bosses happy when what language they speak and just translate into that language as much as possible. Can I go hippy dippy for a second? Oh, always, man. This always. Is our show. Uh, are you alchemist guy? Have I asked you this already? Oh, bro. Alchemist Paulo Coelho, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So I think the kind of succinct version of what you just described very eloquently is everyone has a question, find out what that question is. And if you can give them the answer to that question, you will be the fastest promoted. You'll get raises. Like that's what they care about. That's the question they want. And if you can bring answers to, if you know and find out what your boss's question is, it it gets to be game on pretty quickly. I mean, that also applies 100% to the actual growth of product, right? Everything. Figure out the question that your customers and the people that work within their organization are asking and just answer that question. Don't think about anything else. That's it. So you guys look, you get, you get history, you get culture, you get philosophy here. We don't just talk about how you mechanize product. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was a great one. Looking forward to doing it again. I think in the coming weeks, we're all going to references. Some, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going all over. We got range, people. We got yeah. range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're the Philip Seymour Hoffman of podcast of uh, B2B podcast. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Amazing. We're probably going to start having some guests on soon. Drop in yeah. who you tag some people on the social posts. Let us know yeah. who we should have on. Yeah, you let us know who you think we should have on in the space and um, what you want us to talk about. We've got a lot of topics in the old idea bank, so uh, pretty excited to uh, drop this and drop more going forward. Thanks, guys.
Okay, I made Chase turn it back on because he didn't let yeah. me sign off. He said he's he's supposed to do the opener. I'm supposed yeah. to do the sign off, and he's taking both now. I mean, I'm getting pushed out already. What a what a Hollywood big what league, move. unbelievable. Okay, this is Chat GPT, and I gave him a little bit of stuff, and I told it to make it in a hip hop voice. So we'll see how it works. But okay, yo yo yo, it's time to wrap up. My Persian partner in crime, Chase. We're leaving the growth vault, but we'll keep slinging SaaS and D2C knowledge, full throttle, no breaks. So Chase, stay fly like a Persian prince. Spitting marketing game that never ever mints. Oh, that's terrible. This is this is this is not landing that's at all. Bar, in, the, in this crazy world of hustle and flow, we're dropping gems like beats on the go. From funnels to conversions, we got the juice. Bring in that marketing fire, no excuse. Okay, this is so bad. Now we're out of here. Before we depart, remember to keep it real and follow your heart. Keep grinding, keep shining, and always stay true. Because success is waiting just for you. This is Raba and Persian Chase signing off from the Gulf Fall with that hip hop blaze. Until next time, stay hustling and never stop. Because this sass D to G game is yours to ride. <laughs> all right. All right. That needs a little oh, bit man. of pruning. But uh, yeah. hey, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, Action, man. baby. Just showing up is half the battle. Yeah, it is. All right. That was uh, that was killer. That's <laughs> Sign up Thanks, for um, the Weekly Sharpener. Fantastic yeah. newsletter uh, by this yeah. man. Get You're on now. the Mentor Passes, I think? Yes, I am. Mentor yes, Pass? Yeah. Mentor Get Pass gets some amazing um, time with Chase. I'll be in New York this week, but this will actually post next week, so don't even worry about that. Um, and yeah, we got a great newsletter, uh, Whale Mail, from Triple Whale. You can get it at triplewhale.com slash whale mail. And then make sure to subscribe. We love when you guys post uh, awesome stuff. Let us know. Good, yeah, bad, ugly. If you enjoy it, what we can do better. If there's any yeah. cool topics, guests we want to do. And then, yeah, subscribe to the stuff. And we appreciate all the help and support and love that we've been receiving. So go out there, crush it. And yeah, that's all I got. Follow follow yeah. both of us on the Twitters. Hit us yeah. up and uh, we'll see you guys on the flip. Yeah. A Persian chase out. Persian <laughs> chase <laughs> Chats GPT. Kill me. <laughs>